0: Hey, everybody, this is Nate Bucati with you from the Power and Light District in Kansas City, Missouri, as our Soccer Capital of America content series continues around the 2022 World Cup in Qatar. We are on Twitter spaces right now reacting to what has turned out to be a 1-1 draw between the United States and Wales. We're here in the McFadden studio um, right next to the stage here in the power and light district where we just had a big party for the past several hours, but a party that kind of ended on a bit of a downer. You know, somebody threw a turd in the punch bowl, as the old uh, phrase goes, and uh, – and everybody just kind of left with a little bit of a sour taste in their mouth. And we're gonna we're, we're gonna talk about it all. We're gonna recap what happened in this game. We're gonna go over our thoughts on the game, and of course, we'll talk about the implications for the next two matches. Now, all of a sudden, there might be a lot more pressure riding on that Friday game against England, but we'll get into all that. I'll introduce everybody here on the panel with me, Chad Reynolds, Atley Trost Martin and Connell McCourt. And I'm just going to go clockwise around the room here, guys, and I'll start with you, Chad Reynolds. United States get the lead on a Tim Weah goal in the first half. At halftime, we're sitting pretty. In the second half, Wales played on the front foot much more, and the United States ended up paying for it. A penalty uh, given on uh, Gareth Bale taking uh, being taken down by Walker Zimmerman. Bale puts the penalty away. And and put it away like one of the best players in the world. Top corner, no chance for the goalkeeper to save it really. And then they grind out a one-one result. A result you would think that Wales are happy with and the United States are not happy with. What was your biggest takeaway from this game, Chad?
1: Yeah, I mean, I mean that that would be it. You looked at the the players and the, the faces on the players that they walked off the pitch. All the Wales players are hugging each other and all the U.S. players look dejected. And I think that's the difference. And and for me, that comes down to the approach in the second half. Wales came out on the front foot, as you said, Nate. The U.S. looked like they didn't expect Wales to go for that game. They looked like they expected Wales to play the second half like they played the first half, absorbing pressure, not pushing anything forward. And uh, almost shell-shocked at times. And I it, there's just, to me, there's no excuse for that. It's a World Cup. Wales is down 1-0 at the half. Of course they're going to change their tactics. And nothing about what the U.S. did in the second half, to me, looked as confident as the U.S. did in the first half. And that's the most disappointing part, because the U.S. looked very, very good for the first 45 minutes of this match. They were flying. There was a lot of communication. You could see uh, their confidence with each other, and it just wasn't there in the second half. And And that's going to be my lasting kind of memory of this match was what could have been had the U.S. approached the second half the way they approached the first.
0: All right, so let's uh, let's get your thoughts, Ali Trost-Martin. Um, second half performance, the game certainly changed. What did you make of this one?
2: Well, as uh, our good friend Peter Vermees said before, one goal should be enough to win a game. And and, and and it wasn't for the U.S. in this one, which, yeah, like Chad just said, like you said, Nate, was just really disappointing in the faces of the players after the game. Really said it all. I, I think for me, what was disappointing was some of the lack of necessary creativity in the final third. They had chances to to double their lead in this game at times. And it just really felt like, they, like To me, I'm leaving this game with more questions as we talked about in some of our previews, like who's going to be the guy? I mean, yeah, Tim Weiss scored that great goal. It was a beautiful play, uh, transition moment, great, perfectly weighted ball by Christian Pulisic, but really no one when they needed a goal the most, um, when the game was, was getting dire, was able to, to step up. And now the question for me is, how does this group respond after a disappointing loss? Like, or not, well... A loss. Maybe it feels like a loss right now, but like not a loss, but a disappointing result like that one. How do they respond now? Because uh, that defensive mistake by Walker Zimmerman and that foul to to concede the, the penalty to Gareth Bale that tied it up. I mean, that's that's a devastating moment. I know we're all going to criticize it. No one feels worse about that than Walker Zimmerman himself. Um, how do the guys move on from from some of those emotions?
0: Yeah, it's certainly that, that Freudian slip was was almost perfect because I mean, it, it does. I mean, that was the sense everywhere it was kind of like this feels a little bit like a loss. It's not a loss, though. They did get a point out of the uh, result, and that could play a big factor in this thing down the road. We shall see. Obviously, a loss would have been absolutely devastating to the United States men's national team chances. And look, that seemed like a realistic possibility when Wales had a couple of breakaways late in the game as the United States were pushing for the go-ahead goal. Uh Kellen Acosta had to take a yellow card late in the second half to prevent a breakaway with Gareth Bale, a good yellow card from Kellen Acosta, or else we'd really be dejected right now. But it still does feel like a, like a little bit of a loss. Let's bring in Connell McCourt on this. Connell, um, you were talking before we even took the air on this Twitter spaces about the uh, what this means going forward in terms of the result as you process it right now. And that's the scary thing about when you get into tournament play like this, one result can completely change the way that the next two games get played and what they mean. What does this mean for the United States as you look at it with two games remaining?
3: Well, it just means the England game on Friday is massive. Absolutely. I mean, not already more than it was. And because you don't know, you get down to the last game and you're going to, you're probably going to beat Iran, but is it even going to be in your hands at that point? That's all these thoughts are going to be going through the American players heads. And, I feel a bit bad for them because in that game I thought they coped really well. To the, obviously the first half they were by far the better team. First twenty five, 20, 25 minutes of the second half they knew they were going to have to weather the storm. They done pretty well. It got to about the sixty fifth minute when Weston McKinney came off. Wheels were really forcing the issue at that point. McKinney comes off. They try to change it by bringing Aronson on, trying to big it, uh, trying to give Wheels a bit more to think about in defensive ways, and it nearly. It nearly uh, worked instantly. As soon as Aronson comes on, he's sh- immediately stretching the defence, and it just didn't really go for him. They didn't get the rub of the green. They were, they were still trying to trying to attack when they could, when even though they knew they were holding on to that lead. And then when it got to the 82nd minute, just horrendous. It's one of those things. Zimmerman, you can see, he's trying to he's trying to get in front of Bale to get the ball, but Bale's clever. He knocks the ball out in front of him, and it gets kind of taken away from him. So. It's one of those games they're gonna to have to shake it off, they're gonna to have to come out and honestly I know it's not great, but they're probably gonna need a win against England. Just for them just for the morale in the group, because you go into that last game, if you if you're sitting on two points, Wales are playing Iran, it's that's when you start to play a bit within yourself, because at that stage you're very close to leaving the tournament. It's one of those games they're gonna to have to look back on and kind of dust themselves down because they they done well. The second half, wheels were always going to come out and bring the fire, and they dealt with it to a certain extent for 30 minutes of that second half. And then, of course, just the, the trailing leg of Zimmerman brings Bale down, and that was it was kind of always going to do it. After that, wheels kind of seemed to be in the ascendancy, and it was tough for the U.S. to kind of get, their, get that back, the, the ascendancy back. So it's going to be tough, but they have to go into this, and they kind of need a result against England now.
0: Yeah, I, I don't know that they need a win, but I do think that a, a draw becomes really, really important. You know, to at least get a a result, and maybe you'll be you'll be proven right. Even a draw doesn't necessarily put it all in your hands when you go play Iran, but it puts hopefully you put a little bit of pressure on England to feel like they need to go win their game against Wales so that they actually put out a decent squad. If you lose the game, they're already going on to the next round, and they know it. And so then do they rest everybody and play slowly against Wales? Now, all of a sudden, the prospect for a Wales draw or even win becomes a bigger deal. I think you put that pressure on if you at least get a draw in the England game. We'll get to the England game in a little bit, but I'll tease this. If you go back and listen to the podcast, Podcast we did. Peter Vermees likes the way the United States matches up with England, and I think there's a good reason for that because, as Ali, you and I talked before this game, we talked about our keys, and there were going to be two types of of opportunities for the United States in this game. And you addressed the first one, which was what we saw happen most of the game, especially in the first half. The United States with possession. The United States playing in Wales half of the field and Wales staying very organized and compact defensively and saying... We'll see if you can break us down. And we've seen that the United States has really struggled breaking down a low block of late, especially those two uh, friendlies that got everybody up in arms coming into this game. And with the lack of a true world-class number 9, that adds to everybody's anxiety over it. So the ability to break down that low block and shift the ball and create chances was your key to the game. I didn't see very much of that today. I saw a lot of possession. I saw a lot of moments that kind of got you to the edge of your seat, but I didn't see a whole lot of real chances in the game when when the United States were playing in those situations. The key that I brought up was, and I got this from Peter Vermees, by the way, so this isn't like I'm some sort of genius for coming up with this, but – there were going to be moments in the game where Wales had the ball and got their players into the attacking half of the field and got their line pressed higher up the field. In those rare moments, when the United States win the ball back, they needed to strike and strike quickly. And they had a couple of def- decent opportunities. Wea got up the right-hand side early in the game, and then, of course, Pulisic right down the middle, boom, boom, one pass to Weya, and it's in the back of the net. And they didn't have to break down and organize low block at that time. They just had to use their pace and quality to get past Wales you would think you're going to get a lot more chances like that in the England game. Now the dish the issue is can they stop the wave after a wave of attack that England's going to throw at them but in some ways Peter thinks that's going to open things up because that is one of the big questions for the United States almost more so than when they're playing against good teams it's when they're playing against teams that are going to let them have the ball, can they break them down? And I think the answer was not a positive answer in that regard today. So we'll see how that changes in the England game. As for this one, look, it's never good to signal out a GOAT or anything like that. Walker Zimmerman's not the only reason this team settled for a draw, but it's a big but. He is going to remember that. I feel bad for the guy because nobody wants—you dream of this moment your entire life to get and play in the World Cup— now, maybe he's fortunate that he plays for a country like America where guys like me that have the microphone will say they feel bad for him, whereas in countries like Argentina, they'd egg his car and, you know, do all that kind of crazy stuff. But, you know, nobody wants to make that mistake. And, and, and he, you know, he realized he's got to realize it when he looks back on it, you didn't need to go into that challenge. You know, Stu Holden said it on the broadcast. We can all sit here and watch it and say it. When you're in the minute, you make a split second decision that is the wrong decision, and you and you are. It's such a heavy penalty that he has to pay for that.
2: Well, and I think the other thing too that you have to remember is that Walker Zimmerman is there in the box, and I would imagine a lot of the conversation within the U.S. men's national team going into this game was shut down. Gareth Bale. We even heard it from Kellen Acosta, like that he was a big part of their game plan. So, yes, a a national team center back you know caliber center back should be better in that moment but at the same time emotions are high whales had been really putting the pressure on offensively and then you see their guy with the ball in the box and while he wasn't exactly squared up to goal I mean that's you can understand with the the heightened emotion and just what that situation was and all it takes is a split second sports it's every game is a game of seconds and moments and that was just a, a moment that he'll back I'm with you I feel bad for him but I can understand why that, that maybe happened because of just who it was and the moment. But that penalty, you guys, I, it reminds me of something that Johnny Russell will tell me all the time. And we're going to blend a lot of sporting, conversation, you know, sporting people within uh, our show because this is hosted by Sporting Kansas City. But Johnny Russell always said, I just try to hit it as hard as I can. If you hit it with enough power and speed, chances are you're going to find the back of the net. And that was just a well-taken penalty because Matt Turner guessed the right direction.
1: I mean, it was it was Gareth Bale being Gareth Bale on a penalty. And Matt Turner does guess the right direction. Matt Turner, disappointed in himself, shouldn't be. Gareth Bale hit the hell out of that ball. And he hit it, not into the side netting, but really, really close to it. And Turner does everything he really can in that moment. Guesses right. right. You can say, oh, he should get a – he's got touch to it. He should push it out. I don't care how strong your hands are, unless you get really lucky that ball's – going in because of the way bale hit it the the thing about the zimmerman play is one he doesn't need to make it He, he can just stand the guy up but it is gareth freaking bale on the other side so all of that plays into it the 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 stature of that man both physically and kind of his aura like you know but gareth bale's a smart player he takes a touch that he knows is going to bait a play like that. He takes a touch out in front of him rather than trying to turn immediately on touch one. He takes a, takes a touch right out that is either going to bait a foul from behind or is going to create him space, and he can drop that ball back into another man. It's a savvy play by a savvy player, and Gareth Bale is Gareth Bale. You, you have to know that's coming. All Walker Zimmerman has to do is stand him up. All he's got to do is defend behind him. And that to me will be the most frustrating part of this match is that you look at it and you go, this was in the US's hands. You just needed to either continue taking the game to Wales the, the way you did in the first half or not kind of concede the possession, concede the midfield the way that you did. Because that whole sequence only happens because you're sitting deeper. You invited Wales deeper. Then you invited them in the first half and you didn't need to do that. And I realize you don't have the pace at the center backs and all of those kinds of things. But honestly, how freaking good was Tim Ream today? And, uh, And how good was Walker Zimmerman other than that one real moment? I mean, like he had one moment of massive mistake. Other than that, he was pretty good. The rest of the back line, emergency defending, all of that was there. You just didn't need to do what you did. And maybe it shows inexperience at this level. I, I don't know. But, but that will be the thing that I just like. I, I'm going to watch this game tonight. And I'm going to say, damn, we were so close to walking out of here with three points and closing this match out. And we didn't do it. And maybe it does come down to inexperience. But how important does it make you know Friday now? And, and Nate, I'm with you. I, I look at Friday and I go, that's a different game. Right now, than we thought it was, you know, 24 hours ago. England just went out and hammered Iran. They got a plus four goal differential and three points. You're at one point and zero goal differential. So is Wales. So, I mean, the Wales-Iran match is massive. By the way, that game is at 4 a.m. That's the 4 a.m. match on Friday morning. I was not, central time, our time, I was not planning on waking up for that game. Guess what I'm waking up for now? So I'm going to have to try and like balance my turkey and red wine consumption on, on Thursday so that I can wake up Friday morning and watch that match because that result becomes massively important for how the US approaches and I kind of wonder we can get way into this later. We got to guess what we're going to have a preview podcast coming up later, but that result will in many ways probably dictate how Greg Berhalter wants to attack the England
3: match. Um, I was actually a bit perplexed by Pierre Halter the longer the game went on. Um, I thought um, I thought Jedi Robinson was the best player. I thought he was the U.S.'s best player, constantly trying to force the issue, trying to get something out of out of the lads, and he was bombing forward and bombing forward. But it was a couple of strange decisions. I thought I thought a couple of the subs were strange. Um, leaving... Jordan Morris? Uh, bringing on Jordan Morris, leaving Reyna on the bench, leaving uh, Jesus Fur on the bench, and then he brings on Haji Wright, 74, 75 minutes, whatever it was. So I was like, okay, they were going to go more direct, try and lump the ball up to him and try and bring others in. And around. I didn't see one long ball play to him. So it was like, I didn't really know what they were trying to do. Um, Just, I don't know. It was just a bit perplexing. Um, So I'll be interested to hear what Bear Halter has to say after the game because I don't think you're going to see the same lineup going into this England game.
0: Well, you have a handful of players on yellow cards, for one thing. And in this tournament, when two yellow cards means a suspension, that, that, that's, that might change some of the thought process from uh, Greg Berhalter as well. McKinney and Adams both picked up early. Uh, I'm sorry, Dest and uh, McKinney picked up early yellow cards. Uh, Kellen Acosta picked up one. I'm re- trying to remember if Adams had one or not now. Um, I feel like I want to say Adams had one as well. I'm trying to remember who else had the yellows. McKinney, uh, Dest. Did Tim Ream took one? That's what it was. was a smart one too. And so, you know, that changes the math. But, of course, now that the result matters so much, I don't know that you live in your fears and you bench any of those guys because they're on yellow cards. Uh, it, it, it might depend on the tactics. I mean, one thing that we did hear from Greg Berhalter when he announced the starting line or announced the roster was that he liked Tim Ream because they're going to be playing a bunch of guys who have played in the championship and in the premiership, and Ream's played against all those guys. Well, if he likes that, my call I, I had I had called Aaronson starting this game and McKinney starting the next game as they work McKinney back into fitness. And clearly the plan was not to play McKinney the whole game today as he's working back to full fitness. Maybe you go, Aronson. Aronson's played against all these guys in the Premiership that he's about that they're about to play on Friday. Not that the quality or you worry about McKinney rising to the occasion in any stretch of the imagination. I want Weston McKinney on the field. Just a thought process. If he's on a yellow card, maybe that's something that you think about. The Gio Reyna one's the one that's going to get the most talk, guys. I just been glancing on Twitter a little bit, and there's certainly a lot of buzz out there already. One thing we know about USA Soccer Twitter. There's going to be a large faction of people who want the guys that play in Europe to play and don't want the guys that are playing in MLS to play. It's a really healthy space. So. And and we all kind of wander into it a little bit because Connell and I watch a lot of Celtic and we we're like, you know what? I don't think that 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 Cameron Carter-Vickers makes that mistake that, that Zimmerman made, you know. And maybe that's not fair. And that's not me saying I don't want the MLS guy out there. But there are a lot of people who literally just don't want the MLS guy out there. And if 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 Jordan Morris is coming in and Gio Reyna, who's playing at Borussia Dortmund and can dribble everybody, isn't on the field, they're going to go nuts. But I do think it's a good question. I'm not going to go that far. Look, Jordan Morris, I thought, actually brought, played pretty well. I, I don't really have many, any major complaints with what I saw from him in the game. But you leaned over to me, Chad, and said, you telling me Reyna couldn't help right now? And when there is a low block and you're looking for something special to unlock it, Whipping a bunch of crosses in against a big Welsh back line that's good in the air doesn't seem like your best bet. And they didn't, I mean, how many of those balls did the U.S. ever even get on the end of? And for me, I do wonder a little bit, like, now, should it have been Reina Wea? I, I would have preferred Reina Wea over, you know, over Jordan Morris in that situation. I don't know that I want to take Pulisic out, although I didn't think he was great today. You don't, that that magic's in there. I don't know what, what should we have seen rain in this game Allie?
2: Yeah, I think for unlocking the low block, like you mentioned, and I, I think I was talking about this kind of before we went live on the Twitter spaces. It felt like a lot of the U.S.'s answers, especially from like, you know, kind of outside the box and like the wide areas was just to like lump these crosses in. And some of them were actually like targeting the heads of, of, different guys in the box, but other times it almost felt like they were going like lower and like hard driven balls in that were like kind of off the ground, hoping to maybe get a deflection a bounce. And then you have someone follow it. It just, but it wasn't, it, it looks kind of like a, a you know, hope filled tactic more than anything. Um, so yeah, I think seeing Gio Reyna would have been um, just a, a breath of fresh air. Was Pulisic hurt a little bit? I mean, he he was hobbling after. So I, I mean, for that reason alone, I'm always, I don't care who the player on the field is, if you're hurt to me in a, in a tournament style setting, get off the field, get, get healthier, get someone with fresh legs in, get someone who's not dealing with the knock. Like that's, I don't know, maybe there is a player who transcends that, but like, that's always just my philosophy. I'd rather see someone come on who has the legs and isn't dealing with something. And yeah, I I think Gio Reyna would have been, but again, it's like, it's hard to, you know, play revisionist history when it comes to, like, those players. Now I'm just, you know, who's healthy? How do you manage the yellow cards going into this England match? And I, I'm with you, Chad. I'm so interested to see what the Wales-Iran scoreline is because Wales is the most defensive team, you know, in this group. But it, like, I think the U.S. could easily go out and get a five-goal different, differential against this Iran team. But it's, you know, it, it's going to be interesting to see what they end up needing.
1: Well, so I think if they... Re- Iran learned anything today. They learned they can't sit the way they did in the first half. I mean, they, they, they started, they didn't even start their, their premier, like uh de- defensive midfielder. They, the guy who has played, he'd played like, you know, 30 straight matches for them in the center of the park. They didn't start him today. And then they brought him off the bench in the second half. And they went at England a lot more in the second half. And by the way, that game got wide open and got, got nutty and, and goals and goals and goals were scored. Right. Um, Iran just learned today they can't sit the way that they were hoping and make it out of this group. So they're tactically, that'll be crazy to see what happens. I mean, that's Carlos Corozo the the, the, the the helm there. What do they look like for the next two matches? I have no idea because everybody thought they were going to sit in a low block. Well, they tried it, didn't work. How does that change? Wales going to sit in that low block. We knew it. We saw it all first half. What's crazy is the U.S. goal, which was a fantastic goal, by the way. It's the only shot on goal for the U.S. in the entire match. Six shots, one on goal. And it didn't come from breaking down the low block. It came from a transition moment. They won the ball in the midfield. Pulisic drives at him. Pulisic, by the way, had come in from the left wing, and when that ball got one in the midfield, now he's running at a three-man back line. It's a really great run by Tim Weah, but the left center back for Wales, all he's got to do is stop. Like, literally just stop and stand, and is offside. Like, The transition moment opens up a whole lot, and if Wales can avoid those, they get a good chance of going through because they can sit against England, and they have no reason to come out of a shell against Iran. They can just counter, counter, counter all day if Iran wants to come at them. That's what scares me going forward is how does Wales approach the rest of this? How does Iran approach the rest of this? And that Wales-Iran match on on Thursday, Friday, is now, to me, maybe the most important match in this entire group. Like, it almost doesn't matter what happens in the USA-England match. The U.S. can lose that match and then go out and shell Iran and get through as long as that Iran-Wales match plays the, plays out the right way. You get where I'm going with that? So, what the U.S. has to figure out and this will not be a problem once you get to the round of 16, if you get to the round of 16, is how do you beat a, beat a block? But the U.S. is going to have to beat a block probably in some fashion to get through wh- or get through Iran. I'm with Nate. England's the match now. you got to go out and get points. Whether that's a draw, whether that's a win, whatever it is, go steal a point or more in that match, and it opens everything else up because that's going to be an up-and-down, back-and-forth match. That's soccer. That's not one team sitting in a block. Friday is going to be so fascinating now that this game ended
0: 1-1. Well, Will certainly didn't sit in a block the second half, and it's a little disappointing that the United States didn't deal with that a little bit better. I, I really thought that was going to lead to some counterattack opportunities and more chances to score. And I do think Tim Way had justified his spot in the lineup today because that pace and the counterattack is what, what got them their goal and, and led to more challenges for them. The ability to break down a low block is still a major question for this team, but, and and that's why kind of, I think that the Gio Reyna conversation is such an interesting one because to me, I mean, and I'll be honest, like I am not as big of a Gio Reyna fan as a lot of other people are. I see the quality. I think the, the technical ability is off the charts. Um, I question the mentality a little bit sometimes. I think there's still some growing up to do. I think some 21 year olds are more mature than others, and yeah. and I still and I so I I'm not saying I'm not one of these guys that just that shows a video clip of him dribbling seven guys and goes how could this guy not start for you? Well, maybe part of the reason not starting for you is because he tries to dribble seven guys, you know, instead of combining with people. And I just you know I I, I just saw I guess this is a long way of me prefacing what I'm saying by I'm not one of these guys that just blindly thinks it's an outrage that a young kid that's starting at Borussia Dortmund isn't starting for the United States. I actually think it's a testament to the talent that's out there. When I look at the strengths, the relative strengths and weaknesses of Jordan Morris and, and Gio Reyna though, I look at Jordan Morris as a guy with power and pace. And maybe Burhalter, I'd be interested, he, he'll probably give his, thing, his thoughts on it. I haven't seen it yet, but maybe his thought process, Connell, was let's get a big guy that can get in there and win some headers against these big, uh, you know, we're getting crosses. They're giving us the crosses. So let's get a big guy that can get in there and win those. Um, and maybe, but, but I don't understand, like, yeah, but where's the pace going to come into play when they're sitting back? I'd rather have somebody that's great in tight spaces that can work their way into a crowded penalty area and make something happen as opposed to the guy with the power and the pace because – Pace is almost taken off the table once they're sitting ten guys behind the ball. You're right. And with Reina, before the second
3: before the equalizer went in, the second goal of the game went in, I thought the game was crying out for Reina because I thought wheels were committing more, the US were getting a bit more space in the in the wheels half. So that's where you kind of need a player who is going to turn someone and go one on one. I didn't see one one. 10 today where the U.S., Pulisic or where, took the ball in from the wing and tried to go one-on-one at the whoever the wheels' back three was. Just didn't really seem to be part of their game plan. I don't know if they were coached not to do it. And as Ali was saying, every ball that was delivered into the box was fizzed across the box. And I don't know if they were told, look, they have bigger guys than us back there. Don't be hanging anything up because they'll just get rid of it. And then they kind of got a bit of luck early on with the one that was fizzed across towards Sargent. Ball goes back, ricochets off the goalkeeper and it nearly goes in. So I don't know if that was just subconsciously in the mind of the U.S. players who were thinking, look, we're getting joy from this. Just fizz it across. If it hits someone, then Bob's your uncle. But with Haji Wright coming on, I don't actually think he wanted to take way off at all. Wea was hurt and was hobbling around and then he comes off so I don't think Reyna was probably never getting into that game because if he's keeping Haji right on wheels are committing balls forward if they're going to play it long they're looking for Haji Wright to win the ball and then you have Timo Wea speeding in behind him but Reyna isn't that type of player that's why I was thinking before the second goal went in this is the time to bring him on uh, but obviously it didn't work out that way and Wea actually comes off even to compound the issue Haji Wright had seven touches.
1: He had one in the final third. So, like, what does that say about where the U.S. was playing the ball late in the game? If you're going to put Haji Wright on the field, he's six foot three. He's 200 pounds. He's a physical presence. That's why you brought him to the World Cup. Greg Berhalter was flat out honest. He said it wasn't about Haji Wright versus Ricardo Pepe. It was about Haji Wright versus Jordan P. right? So that's, I, I'm bringing a physical guy. I'm bringing a number nine physical presence. Wales brought a six foot five physical presence more off the bench. And damn, was he a presence? Didn't, nothing came of it, right? But he was a factor the second half of the match, right? Haji Wright was a, an absolute non-factor. Nothing the U.S. was doing tactically in the second half made Haji Wright a factor. And if you're going to bring Haji Wright on, you damn damn better well have a tactic to get him involved one touch and a and a sprayed shot from the edge of the area is not it that's not what you're looking for from Haji right and spray and pray crosses isn't it either i get that like he's a body but figure out a way to change the scope of the game and the scale of the game at that point you had let that game spread you had let that game become whales coming at you just as much that means to me you got to figure out a change in the midfield or you got to like nothing about the what the U S did tactically today said to me, they were prepared for anything that Wales put at them in the second half. And that has been a question about Greg Burhalter from the beginning. Is he tactically astute enough to coach at this level today was not a shining example of that.
2: Well, and Nate, I think you're the one who said this. It, it was almost shocking that the U S weren't able to get any real dangerous Counterattacking moments when Wales did start opening it up. and it's also like the things that the US did that led to the goal, like they never did again in the game. It was like they was like go place? up the middle. Yeah. Like they didn't like try to go up the gut. They like stuck with the same thing, even though what led to the goal and, and put them in the best position to score, they had a perfect example of of how that was done. And I feel like, yeah, you bring a player like Haji ride in and he's so ineffective, but you don't make any adjustments to then also put him in a position to succeed in the game. So it was just, it, it was almost like trying to then figure out what the solution was in real time. And I, I think they'll learn a lot going back and rewatching this game. It's just, how does that then translate now through the rest of the group stage matches?
1: Well, the group stage just became a two game group stage. It's that simple. And, and it's a two game, two man group stage. It's you and Wales. It doesn't, it literally does not matter You're not worried about Iran. You watched this morning and you said, I am in no way worried about Iran anymore. No, I mean, like, look. Yeah, like, nothing about what Iran did this morning scares me. They weren't impressive. Yes, they scored two goals on the break. England didn't care at that point. Like, they didn't. And so, I'm looking at this and going, how do you better Wales the rest of the way? How are you better equipped to go out and get a better result against England than Wales is and a better result against Iran than Wales is. And, Connell, you said it while we were off the air. The problem becomes the United States is at a disadvantage in that they play Iran at the end and are in England next, whereas Wales will get England after England will probably have, depending on what happens with that U.S. game, have assured themselves if
0: you lose.
1: confident, if it's a 1-1 draw, if that if that U.S.-England game finishes 1-1, England is probably through, depending on what happens with Wales and Iran. Now, if Wales goes out and hammers Iran 3-0, we're all licking our chops looking at that Tuesday match going, cool, go out and beat Iran more than Wales did. And frankly, I feel relatively confident in the U.S.'s ability to do that. Like, if Wales beats Iran 3-0, the U.S. should be able to beat Iran 3-0. But can they break down a low block?
0: Well, I think it's that. It's also um, if England beats the United States and knows they're through, how much do they care for the Wales game? And I'm going to get to something a little off the soccer pitch that I think actually is a fascinating part of the World Cup when we get to it. And geopolitical series of events play into the performance of national teams. These are national teams that are playing. So not only is it, which player might be sleeping with his teammate's girlfriend, which we know has busted up World Cup teams in the past. I mean, that's happened. Those, Those dynamics play out on soccer fields, right? But it's also my friends are back home protesting in the streets and possibly getting shot and killed, and I don't agree with my government either, but I'm afraid to speak out because I'm on the national team. Yes, the Iranian players, none of them sang out loud during the national anthem. And you know, you can overanalyze national anthems, but you can learn something from national anthems and when not a single guy sings it, yet they're afraid to speak out because of what could happen to them coming back home. And how they perform could determine how they get treated when they come back home because if they win and they're treated as heroes coming back the government might might not dare touch them but if they lose they might get thrown in prison if they say the wrong thing and how do you go play a soccer game under that? If you anybody that studied the story of the Colombian national team in 94 in the United States being facing death threats from drug overlords before the game, we all know that affected them and ruined their World Cup. And how could it not? So for Iran, it's as much to me about what's going on back home as it is what's going on here. Now, I will make this this statement that was sent to me by some a buddy of ours who said well wales clearly won the anthem off and if you watched all the american players most of them were kind of singing it and kind of mumbling through it the way we all do at church you know the way people kind of mumble away at least if you're catholic you mumble your way through the hymns because they're kind of you know depressing songs i say that as a catholic uh that's kind of how the American guys sang it. A couple of them were singing it loud and proud, but you know most of them were just kind of quietly, solemnly singing it with respect. And then the Welsh guys were screaming at the top of their lungs for the teams that have wanted to make it to the World Cup since 1958. And I said to the, I said to the guys that said, well, they won the anthem off. I said, well, that's the difference between when people are singing an anthem for an empire And when they're singing an anthem for a colony. And a guy who's sitting to my right, who is from Northern Ireland. You know I think you you talk to people from places like Ireland and Scotland and Wales who live right next to the English who kind of invo- invented modern day imperialism and all that and colonialism they' were well, gonna sing the anthem a little bit louder nobody believes in us we, you know we we stand for something we know who we are we've been trod upon by the you know the Empire well we're big bad America you know and we we are the bullies on the block in, in from a geopolitical sense and everything so of course Wales saying that way and of course they played that way in the second half when they were down Gareth Bale made a professional decision to come to the United States not and I texted with Elie Sanchez about this name drop but I said to him I can't believe he's taken this kind of a pay cut to come to MLS and his response to me was he doesn't need money he needs the World Cup He's done everything he could possibly do in his professional club career. He hasn't played for his national team in the World Cup. Nobody has since 1958. Everything he did was gearing himself up for this. And he knew if he came to MLS, he could tell them, this is how many minutes I want to play. This is how hard I'm going to play. And I want to be ready by the time the World Cup comes around. And, of course, LAFC was like, done. And you'll win us an MLS Cup in the process. So my, my point being is wales was playing against an empire today the one time the united states gets to play against their colonial overlords is when they play those dirty english bastards (laughs) they play the bad guys in the star wars movies because they came here and did all this stuff to us you know even though that was ancient history we shoot we talk we celebrate the fourth of july and all these things we get to go beat the dirty english and they're the they're the big bully on the block And the U.S. is better in those situations. And so the U.S., but I do worry, just to, sorry to wrap up my long soliloquy here, but I do worry that Iran is broken. You know, that those kids from Iran are broken and that Wales will will put them to the sword. Hopefully they don't have the firepower to really put them to the sword. Hopefully the United States does, but I do question it a little bit. Again, it all comes back to, you better perform on Friday. Get at least some kind of result.
2: I think you're spot on. I think all of all of that I mean when you look at the the overall analysis of the World Cup and the teams and the matchups I mean you can't rule out how things like that come into play. Um, but we do have some quotes from the head coach, Greg Berhalter, after the match. He, and I think this is interesting as we talk about, you know, maybe what some of the the tactics for the U.S. were in the second half and, and whether that was with subs or, or lack of adjustments when it came to how Wales came out and played. He said, um, in regards to Gio Reyna, looking at the game, the guys gave everything. People were cramping, which made subs tricky in the game. So I would imagine... Some of the substitutions made maybe weren't anticipated. Um, you had to get guys off the field. In the phase of the game that they were in, we went with Jordan, who we felt could give us speed and power. Um, which was essentially the difference between him going in versus Gio Reyna. Um, Acknowledge that walking into the locker room after the game, you could see the disappointment in the group. Yeah, we all saw it on the TV as well. Um, And then he did have a couple comments. I'm reading the tweets from Paul Tenorio of The Athletic. Uh, Maybe just a a little typo here, but uh, I think he's saying that Walker um, thought, you know, get first to the ball and then Bale came in and put the legs in front of the ball and, you know, he admitted that you know, from his perspective, looked like a penalty. I think we all would be in agreement of that. Um, In the lead-up, Walker thinks the ball went out of bounds and by a good margin. So in the play leading up to what then... So I hadn't seen that, you know, uh, to be completely honest, you know, up on stage watching, you know, the game, but some of those replays and stuff, hard to get an eye on. So in the lead-up, Burhalter, not Walker, thinks that the ball went out of bounds and by a good margin, surprise, was not called or looked at. So that's interesting and, you know... too late now, but that uh, definitely plays into maybe some of the frustration about how this result played out.
1: Well, and tactically, I mean, I, I like, listen, I think Gio Reyna helps this match, but also at the end of the match, when you're chasing, Jordan Morris is a blunt object, right? He's a blunt instrument. You're, you're going speed and you're going power, and Gio Reyna doesn't bring those things. But at the end of the, like, I, Connell, I'm, I'm with you. I think that, that the time for Brendan Aronson was 10 minutes before Brendan Aronson came on. I think the time for Kellen Acosta was ten minutes before Kellen Acosta came on, and I think the time for Gio Reyna was earlier. And and the it's a different match if you make those choi- those chances or changes. And hey, maybe those guys aren't cramping because clearly, clearly there were health issues. Clearly there were like like, and this is a team that's going to struggle with this now. So I it'll be interesting to see how this um, how this shakes out over the next couple of matches. The U.S. walked out of here with four yellow cards. Wales walked out with two. And and Kellen Acosta's yellow card aside, which, by the way, shout out Kellen Acosta for that foul that drew a yellow card. That might have saved a point today, or two points, if you will, because if Kellen Acosta does not foul Gareth Bale there, Matt Turner is way out of his goal, and if anybody's putting that ball on frame, it's Gareth Bale. So huge, huge mo- moment from Kellen Acosta. But you've got really important pieces on yellow cards. And how does that play apart part in your your squad selection. Nate alluded to earlier. Weston McKinney's on a yellow card. Greg Berhalter has a choice now. Yellow cards reset after the group stage, right? Unless you pick up your second yellow in the third group match. Greg Berhalter has to decide: Do I want to play Kellen, or excuse me, Weston McKinney in match two, risking that he won't be available for match three, or do I sit him, play him in match three, and he's potentially not available for a round of sixteen match? And so, I think you're going to see those guys. Play in match two because you got to figure out a way to get a result out of this match. If you can, it's not it's not doom and gloom. If you don't, it's not doom and gloom. If you lose, you can still go about out and beat Iran and get four points and walk out of here as the second place team. But it's coming down to goal differential and all that fun, right? So it'll be really, really interesting as far as it goes about the kind of the evil empire part of this, the imperialism that is a colonialism, imperialism, whatever you want to call it. That is a real part of every storyline in this group it's hilariously true about every single match in this group right the geopolitical stuff matters mason freaking mount saying god save the queen today you can see the video of it there are english players singing god save the queen they don't have a queen anymore they got a king right and like so this is a weird part of all of this that everybody's adjusting to a, a new world Everybody's adjusting to, in England, they're adjusting to, hey, we got a queen now. Wales is kind of in the same boat, although their anthem absolutely slams. Like, that is a, that's a bop. Um, And then, and then Iran, you've got just a crazy geo, like, like, everything at home is nuts. To Nate's point, every single one of those players in the starting 11 for Iran made a choice not to sing the national anthem. What does that mean when they go back? How does that change things for them? And so the, the, this, the next – today's Monday, right? We got eight more days of this group, and I don't care about the group of death, whatever you want to call the group of death in this tournament. Holy cow, is this the group of drama. Like, the drama is real. Like, you're looking at Group A, eh, the Netherlands and, and, and Ecuador are in the driver's seat, right? Based especially after what we saw today, Senegal was game, but they were only game, and they didn't, they didn't, they didn't create chances. Um, Qatar looks like a, they're in absolute shambles. The Netherlands didn't look good, but got a got a result. Ecuador looks game right now. Group A's done, dusted. I, I that's probably unfair, but also well, from what we saw, Group A looks like it's it's pretty well to pasture. Group B is gonna be drama the rest of the way, and I'm I'm like as a as a soccer fan, I'm here for it. As an American, like get, let's
3: go find the antacids. You know, I'm I'm very worried about where this goes. Um, I was just actually just gonna uh, just thinking in my head there were if you do get a draw against England here and it does go down to the last game against Iran, and maybe Wales goes out and beats them two or three nil. If it comes down to the last game and you're having the better Wales as a result, who do you play as the number nine? Because originally, before Haji Ray comes on, if they if Wheels score that goal five minutes earlier, ten minutes earlier, I think he brings on Jesus Ferreira. I personally... I don't think Haji Ray comes on. I think he was trying to manage the game and brought Haji Ray on, but as I just asked, and I can even ask it open to the room, if it comes down to it and you're needing to better Wheels as a result against Iran, who do you play as the number nine?
0: So you're saying if you... Draw against England, yeah, and you, and you need to outscore, say, wheels
3: beat around, yeah,
0: yeah, boy. I, it's 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 a it's an unanswerable question. Sorry, <laughs> I uh, did you just my... okay? Well, I'll give it to you, Allie, because I think it's a tough question, and I'll and I'll I have an answer, but it's complicated.
2: <laughs> Is the number nine anything but complicated, Nate? Um, okay, so kind of going out here on a limb with this one, we saw reports that team Owea bingo playing at the nine that to me is the best way and honestly his finish tonight he looked like a true number nine in that moment to, to me kick. uh yeah chad's pick to kick shout out to chad uh shout out to tim Auea. um so that honestly that's that's my that's my pick and then i think you go whoever ends up coming in on the wing then
0: i i don't know do like So my answer is Ricardo Pepe, and he's not here. He's not walking through that door. He's not walking through that door, and, and people might laugh at me for that, but the reason I say that is because, to me, when I look, each one of these number nines for the United States brings something to the table. I haven't watched enough Haji Wright to really have a strong opinion about him. I don't watch the Turkish league. And when I watch him play with the United States men's national, I'll do respect to it. I know there's great teams there. Every once in a while in the champions league, you get to watch one of those teams play and they have great atmospheres in their stadiums. I, I would love to go to a game there someday, but I, I don't watch it on a regular basis. So I don't know what Haji Wright looks like day, game in and game out. When I've seen him at the national team level, I've seen him miss the sitter, you know, and to me, Ricardo Pepe is the guy that I think is the most lethal when it comes to poaching around the goal and one-touch simple finishes. He told me in an interview I got to do with him, name-drop Allie, uh, that his role model – It was Robert Lewandowski. That's who he watches because he loves the simplicity with the way he finishes. He doesn't try to do some kind of overcomplicated thing when he gets the ball in the penalty area. He knows how to redirect the ball with every part of his foot and his head and whatever other part of his body he needs to, to tuck it past the goalkeeper in. And I'm not putting him on Lewandowski's level, but he does play that way. You watch his goals, and they're rarely impressive. There are a lot of one-touch finishes. There are a lot of him popping up all over the place, and I do think they need that. They could have used that today with all those low-fizzed balls coming into the area. You could use a guy that just has a knack for getting on the end of one of those and putting it toward goal. And nobody really did that today. So I would I would love to see Ricardo Pepe. I actually think is decent at that as well. I think Ferreira might be my choice. I just uh, I, I want to love the Tim Weiss out. I do. But I the only times I've seen him be successful is when he's out on the wing running at people. And it's just you don't get as many opportunities when you're playing centrally to do that. You get some, but not as many. So I, I don't think I start way up top. I think I probably go with Jesus Ferreira as my guy. If you you know, and I just didn't see enough from Haji right tonight to say, Oh yeah, no, I'd rather see him.
2: Also, like such a slap in the face, like, hey, here we brought three strikers and <laughs> Tim Wea, here you go. Uh, no, but I, I think there's a lot of options, but if we want to get Gio Reyna, Tim Wea, and Pulisic up top that I would, I would, I would personally love that personally.
1: So that's the question. Kitchen sink game. Like we're talking about the kitchen sink now, right? We're talking about if you need points, you need a win and you need to bang in three or four goals. How do you do it? And if you're throwing the kitchen sink, you have to have Timo Wea, Brennan Aronson, Christian Pulisic, uh, who am I missing? Weston McKinney, Gio Reyna. That's a whole bunch of bodies on the field, right? Who does that leave out? It's probably a Eunice Musa. I'm gonna pass a Nate. Nate. Nate wants the mic.
0: Kitchen sink game. You go the three man backline. You do. You do. You go the three man line, and then you get you. You. What are you gonna do? I mean, you, if you have to score a whole bunch of goals and you want to get those guys on the field, there's an easy way to do it, and you go with three guys at the back, and you get you know, and you take you know you either take Robinson or Dest off the field, you know, and and that that's where you add one of your players. Yeah.
1: Well, and that's that'll be as we're going we're going to go ahead and wrap up here, but like that 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 feels like that is that's a good question for us to talk about on a next preview pod. We're going to have okay. going to have a couple of those. But but um let's do let's do real quick final thoughts knowing about today, not about the future. About today, and I'll I'll, I'll start. My my final thought is is the more I kind of sit here and we talk about this match, I, I my disappointment comes in the tactics in the second half and and how the U.S. looked unprepared for for Wales to come out of a shell. We prepared for Wales to be Wales to be in a shell. We didn't prepare for Wales to come out of that shell. And I think that that is something that you're going to have to look to for the rest of this group because especially we just saw it from Iran today. Iran in a shell the entire first half tried to go at england in the second half they didn't have a choice right but you're going to have to match three iran's going to be desperate what is greg berhalter's tactical adjustment at halftime plan the rest of the way because it wasn't there today and i think that that might be why the u.s is sitting here on one point instead of three
2: hot take the u.s scored too fast in this game um <laughs> or the match itself but it had nothing to do crowd out here today or in light absolutely incredible it is a monday afternoon the week of thanksgiving at one o'clock and this place was absolutely packed fans were piling in at 11 and by kick it looked like just about it looked like the crowd that you would see much further on in the world cup but just a, a credit to the incredible incredible soccer fans here in kansas city that was a hell of a lot of fun and we'll see you on friday for a huge match against england
3: Um, my final thoughts are I mean obviously some kind of deflation after the way the game ended Um, I know you were kind of joking there about scoring too fast but honestly when it it came to see at halftime the Welsh manager Rob Page he had a decision to make and he made it he was like right we are going for this we have to go for it that's what and for the first 20 minutes as I said in the second half the US coped pretty well they they were weathering the storm of everything wheels was throwing at them, just that one moment of madness apart from Walker Zimmerman that's going to have, that we're all going to remember from today. But it's it's now to a point it's on an knife edge. The group is on an knife edge at the minute. I know you don't like saying it because it's it's a hard ask. I think you need to beat England. I think you need to go out and beat them. It's A draw gives you something to hang on to, but then you're worrying about wheels, you're getting into the last game, and all the pressure that's going to be on that. If you go out, set up attacking, like they were like the today, because I do expect there to be changes, but if you set up attacking today, I wouldn't start sergeant personally against England, but I think you have to go for the game. And... With the attacking in the first half, you have players that look like, like Jedi Robinson. Look like he's a World Cup veteran, running up and down the wing. Didn't didn't seem to faze him at all. If you can bring that kind of heat against England, obviously you're going to have to be a bit more defensive, just due to the quality that they have. But if you ha- you have to go for it at this point, and no guts, no glory.
0: So, my thoughts on this: the United States back in the world cup for the first time in eight years to back up Ali's point man it was great to That's be awesome. here in the power and light District with thousands and thousands of people who love the sport as much as we do who represent kansas city let's knock this court out let's see Fun for a second there uh celebrating the sport that we love and i'd miss those watch parties from 2014 so much it was great having the women's watch parties in 2019 as well to see the men's national team back out on stage today was great with a young team with zero experience outside of deandre in the world cup playing better team in the first half of this game some of that inexperience came home to roost in the second half. Now, I know Wales and none of those guys have played in the World Cup, but they made some tactical adjustments the United States might have been a little naive to. Uh, Some of the mistakes the United States made late in the match, maybe worse mistakes that happen uh, to, to young teams that don't have quite as much experience. Maybe. Maybe I'm making an excuse for them as well. I don't know. But... I also think it's kind of like a bad break and, and a really clever, one of the greatest players in the world who knows how to do every little thing and get every little advantage he possibly can to win at the highest level, which he's done his whole career. Gareth Bale did that tonight. Um, I am disappointed in the results, but I do think that a draw is a beneficial result on Friday. I think the United States come out and we might see a Leeds United type of game where, It's like, I can't believe they're pressing Liverpool. You know, what are they, crazy? And then they score a couple goals, but then they also give up a couple goals, and it's chaos. I don't know. England is loaded with talent. They have brilliant players. They also showed some problems playing out of the back against Iran today and a press could cause them some issues. Their back line is a question mark. So, and the pressure that they'll be under is a question mark as well. So we'll see. Uh, We'll build ourselves back up to nervous anxiety by the time Friday rolls around. We'll be loaded with... Tryptophan and turkey and everything and mashed potatoes and gravy and all that stuff and then we'll and then we'll sweat it all out on Friday here at the Power and Light District and I'm going to sign off with something that Peter Vermees said on stage to everybody here today. If you listen to the podcast we did with Peter Vermees uh, earlier this week previewing this game, go if you didn't go back and listen to it because it'll make you feel better about the England match. But it's that you get that glimpse again as to why Peter Vermees does what he does for a living and why he's so good at it. He's always thinking about things that get you fired up and motivated. And before we took him up on stage to talk to the crowd today, Peter pulled Ali and me aside and said, Hey, you know, a lot of times if a manager like that came down to do a public appearance, he'd get up there and not want to say anything and wave to the crowd and have a couple generic questions. I hope we play hard and give it a good game and walk off. He tells us, we got to talk to this crowd About how important the next four years are. Yeah, it's great to show up when the World Cup is around. And it's great if you show up in 2026 and show the world that we care. But what are you going to do between now and then? Are you going to show up for Sporting Kansas City? Are you going to show up for the KC Current? Are you going to show up for your nephew's high school game? Are you going to tell all your friends and get them to come to games and get them involved in the sport? Teach them about the game. Make sure they love it. Do everything in your little sphere of influence to grow the game for the next four years so that by the time the World Cup comes here, there's ten times as many people like us here today as there currently are in this city. And Peter said it, and you could tell from his perspective, he said, look, St. Louis is coming online. You know, they got a great soccer culture. They're coming after us. We got to raise our game. Yeah, what we've done to this point in Kansas City has been incredible, calling ourselves the soccer capital of America, but what comes next? We have to raise our game now more than ever in this town. And he gave that speech to the audience, and I thought, man, this guy has me ready to run through a brick wall. What's on his birthday? And they sang happy birthday to him today, by the way. It wasn't me and Allie's fault. Um, But I want to close out any of you that are listening to this Twitter spaces right now. You're obviously one of us. You're one of, you wouldn't be listening to this Twitter spaces if you didn't care immensely about not just the U.S. men's national team, but the game and what it means in this country and where it's headed in this country and in this town. So hear those words from Peter Vermees. And no matter what happens on Friday and on Tuesday, and hopefully it's great things and we go on this magical run that captivates the entire nation. But even if we don't, we have a young national team that's going to grow from this experience in this world cup we are our our rocket ship is just now taking off and we all have a chance to be some of that rocket fuel you know to make this thing really really sore. i'm taking this analogy way too far right now but um you know we have a chance to be that and so enjoy these moments these are precious moments when you get together and you know, I'm like, we gotta take pictures of all of us together, right? We're gonna be, we're gonna be four years from now saying, Hey, remember being on stage at the Power and Light District for those watch parties. Remember all these different moments. Every one of these, we're only we're only guaranteed three of these. And there's only two left. So let's see you down here on Friday. Download your tickets at SeatGeek.com. By the way, come out here for the raffle that the Victory Project does because today somebody won a pass for four people to go to a Sporting Kansas City training session at Compass Minerals and meet and greet the team and get personalized jerseys just by – $10 raffle tickets at the Victory Project. We're going to do one that's a grand prize at the end of the tournament that's for a Peter Vermees game-worn U.S. Men's National Team 1993 jersey, which is incredible, and we'll have more prizes. Autograph, I'm I'm sure we can get him to autograph it if he hasn't already. Um, That's all coming up. So get your tickets. They're free. But make sure you get them and get here early Friday because this place was packed today, and it was a late arriving crowd. It wasn't packed at twelve; it was a little more packed at twelve thirty, but by one o'clock. The whole place was covered. It's going to be an even bigger crowd on Friday, and you want to be a part of it because what if we pull off something crazy against England? What if one of these young players goes out there and writes his name in the history book of American soccer with a banging header that beats England for crying out loud? That could happen on Friday. Chad, I'll give it back to you before I sign off.
1: Tim Weah today, first player to score against Wales in a World Cup since Pele. Since Pele, speaking of writing your, your name in the history books. So we, we, will, uh, we will be back here Friday. We will do the same thing we did today, a live Twitter spaces with an, immer- a, uh, an immediate lineup reaction. Um, but before that, we'll have another preview podcast for USA England. It's kind of funny. It feels like we shouldn't even do one until uh, we see what happens with that, that Wales-Iran match at 4 a.m. But we will be back uh, later this week with a, an England-USA preview pod, and then you'll get us pre-match. Lineup reaction, post-match lineup reaction, and then we'll be back to do the whole thing again before the, the ultimate match, I guess, if you will, in the group stage, um, USA, Iran. Um, I, I'll echo what Nate said. Get your tickets. Get them early. SeatGeek.com, SportingKC.com, slash WC2022. Get on down here. Today was awesome, and this was just the beginning.
0: All right, so for Chad Reynolds, Ali Trost-Martin, Connell McCourt – This is Nate Bucati saying thanks for listening to our Twitter spaces. Also, don't forget Mexico, Poland. Uh, My grandparents who are off the boat from Poland up in heaven will be cheering for the Polacks, but Mexico and Poland will be watch party down here in the Power and Light District tomorrow as well, and we will see you on Friday. Make sure you follow Soccer Capital KC for all of your info. Uh, The U.S. settles for a draw, 1-1 against Wales. We'll see you next time.